This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels progress so your parents talk to me 
my parents are from Ireland. So my my mom uh, was from Sligo. She uh, has passed away now about six years. Other interesting story. Mm. Um, you know, I came home one night. We were talking, chatting it up, went to bed, and I woke up to go to work the next morning, and she had passed uh. in the middle of the night at my house. So uh. Uh, I woke up, you know, and that just goes to show how important and how strong like the brotherhood is like obviously boston fire is like the first ones there they find out like i'm on the job and they're like holy shit and then like you know the sism team and all these guys like the safety they're all came by my house that morning like it was really good yeah and then my dad who still works you know six days a week in his 70s uh was from galway it's like i had no family on the job uh We had this these stickers made at the firehouse, you know, self-made Jake. They would put on their helmets, <laughs> like you know, they're like, you know, well, my dad, my grandfather, you know, my seventh cousin, and the like, we're all on the job on Boston Fire. And like when I walked in, I was like brand new. I didn't know. Yeah, anything. yeah. Well, Boston's got that feel, right? So it's a it's an urban city department, but it's the neighborhoods are super small. Right. Yeah. Everybody knows each other from Boston, if you will, especially in the neighborhoods. So Boston Fire Department, as much as it's a an urban, busy department, it's still kind of on a small scale. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like I've gone to like I've been in Baltimore, I've been to D.C., been in New York, you know, L.A., all these other big communities. And it's like we have pieces of everything. Right. We have industry. We have water. We have brownstones. We have, you know, residential. We have the three decas, yeah. as they say. You yeah, know. Absolutely. Uh, we have a, a, a numerous buildings that are all over the place of different types. Which provides plenty of opportunity. And and but I I think what's cool about that, though, is the the closeness, the tight knit. You talked about your mother passing and before they before you knew it the resources were there for you. I mean, that's that's that small town feel in a big city that I think yeah. is super important, especially being on the job. And it's crazy too, because like the neighborhood that I live in is filled with like cops, firefighters, families. Like, you know, we go to a, you go to my kids uh, show at school. It's like a, it's like a Boston <laughs> police union meeting. It's a fire department union meeting. Everybody lives yeah. in this neighborhood. They all send their kids to school. So we're all, constantly passing in the night and seeing each other. And then you run into guys that calls and you're like, Hey, how's the kids? You know, it's, it's wild. It, it makes for a great upbringing though. I mean, you're in a safe neighborhood, right? I mean, you're surrounded by like-minded people, cops, firemen, blue collar people that make up the fabric of the city of Boston. I mean, you guys, and not only that, but there is this inherent love people that live in Boston, love Boston. They bleed Boston. It's like one of those things. And, and I just, I fell into it. Like I grew up in the city. Like my parents are immigrants from Ireland. Like, you know, they, my dad and my parents worked seven days a week right. for my entire childhood. And it was just one of these things like growing up in like the eighties and the nineties. And like, you know, the Patriots were terrible when I was a kid, yeah. the Red Sox were terrible. Yeah. Um, as I got older, you know, the teams got better, the sports got better. Um, and I think it, the fact that there's so many college students in Boston, there's an influx of over, I want to say it's over a hundred thousand. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's like a hundred thousand students come in around September Big and the dynamic of the city just changes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it's wild. It's wild. It's certainly cool. I, I love Boston. I've visited many times. I've stayed many weekends there. Um, <clears throat> I've always had a great time and I love, I love the city itself. It's clean. Um, it's, I, I, it's friendly. 
Um, I mean that with, you know, ish. Yeah, I know. Right. It's like where I, where I am, you know, it's, yeah. it's friendly, right. I'm sure there's right. some dark corners and some alleyways that, uh, you know, represent the, the Philadelphia, if you will. But, uh, you know, I'll get, I'm going to catch slack for that for sure. But that's where I find the tie to be like the closest. And maybe it just goes back to like, you know, the old school 13 colonies and stuff like that is like Boston and Philly are so like, they're so similar yes, in so they many are. different ways. Yeah. Um, but I think that just goes back to like the history, obviously, like the, there's tons and tons of history in the city all over the place. I mean, you, we drive by places, we go to calls at places where like the con- the country started. This is where the country started. Yeah, and, cool. and like we're like, you know, doing a medical layer. It's, it's wild. Every corner, man. It's like, uh, you know, brick roadways and, you know, decorative uh, signs and fences and statues. I mean, it's a it's certainly a historic city. There's no doubt. Cobblestones. It's, it's you know, yeah, which sidewalk. which leads to old infrastructure which then leads to challenges. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's construction ongoing all over the place yeah. as in you know, most major metropolitan cities, but like uh, the seaport district is like the district that's like directly across the street from my firehouse. When I started down there, I was able to see like a quarter mile down and see the, like the Boston, um, the plaza where they, they do concerts. Now, like every week we go down there, it's like, where's that building? What street's that on? They're like yeah. making up streets. They're making up addresses. Yeah. It's like, what, what's this building? Yeah. Um, it's it's wild to watch. I mean, I, I live 20 minutes outside of New York City, 20, 25 minutes outside of New York City. I see the skyline every single day. And that skyline is so different today than it was just five years ago, let alone 20 years ago. It's a whole different yeah. animal. The You know, the, the buildings that you once remembered as a kid in the skyline are dwarfed by even residential buildings now, you know, um, it's crazy how, how it, it's expanded and grown for sure. Buildings you used to look at as a kid and we're like, wow, that's so tall. And, right? and that's amazing. And then you look at it now and it's just like dwarfed around yeah. huge other buildings around them. Yeah. So growing up in Boston, man, um, you talked to me a little bit about your upbringing. Give me a little background about, uh, you know, uh, parents worked all the time. So did you find yourself on the streets or were you a good student? Were you an athlete? Like what, what, where, where, where'd you go as a kid? Definitely was not an athlete. Um, <laughs> you know, my my mom would work a three to eleven shift, and my dad would obviously. My dad, I can remember like I have vivid memories of like me and my two brothers sitting on top of like a paint bucket in the work truck, like you know, going to school. So we went to Catholic school, you know, one through twelve. Um, and, and parents just, you know, they worked. I remember, you know, my dad wasn't the kind of guy that was going to come out in the backyard with me and be like, "Hey, son, let's go play catch." Right. You know what I mean? Like he was like, "Get to work, do your homework." Um, but I like fell in love with like building construction and carpentry, like at a young age. Right. Cause my dad was banging nails, um, you know, doing roofs, doing siding, doing remodels. So I kind of like fell into that in like the 13, 14, 15, 16 range. Right. Um, but like as a kid, like, you know, we, we did our homework and we went out and, and roamed the streets and got into trouble. And, you know, uh, later on in life, you know, we were up the, the park drinking beers, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, um, you know, I have very vivid memories of just like running the streets as a as a young lunatic, uh, you know, drunk, just crazy. I think it, like now as a father, I look back on it and like I could not imagine my son doing the things that I was doing. I feel the same way. My youngest is 15. I have 15 and 16 home and then my other two already moved out. Yeah, they go out every weekend, every and now they're going out. My daughter's getting her license in December and uh, the game is changing. And the one thing I'll say, though, about them is the education has worked on them. Like I've noticed how old are you? Your son is young, right? 
Just one, yeah, just Connery's nine. Nine. Yeah. So I've noticed my kids don't take these risks that I did growing up. Like they, they are good kids. Uh, I'm not saying they haven't experimented or tried, you know, something here and there, but we also had an open household where we talked about it and, you know, and it, it, it's on display and they're a part of it and they understand the responsibility that goes with, you know, testing the waters. And so, uh, and we also laid a very strong foundation at home. So I think if you do all those things, I mean, I had that growing up too, but I think that we were still looser than my kids are today. My kids are much more structured and, and they care more about other things than just getting, you know, throwing back beers and getting hammered, you know? Yeah. And I think as a parent now, like I have a much more like interior look at like my son's life. Yeah. Um, he tries to pull things over on me and I'm like, I wrote the book on this. Stuff, dude, <laughs> me too, brother. Absolutely. But at the same time, like my parents were not like, that involved with me you know mm-hmm. what I mean like I feel like they were I'm much more involved in his everyday life I know what's going on I talk to him like my dad wasn't having, having conversations with me about like so who's the new girl at school I agree with you he was just 100%. like hey, good grades good you know later my father worked seven days a week like your father he worked hard to to give us everything we could have but that means he didn't make every game that means he didn't come home at dinner time that means that you know he was busy and, um, and I respect that. And I, I love him and respect him for that. Um, I think sometimes I'm too involved in my kids' lives. I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, you know, are they, do they lean on me too much? Do they, you know, uh, my parents, there was no text messaging or anything. So like if my, if I was out, they're like, be home at 11, be home at midnight. Like that's your curfew. And there was no communication. Can I get another 15 minutes? Can I, you know, it wasn't the deal. It was the thing for me. Right. You know what I mean? Like we'd be out if the street lights came on and you were still out, you better come home. Yeah. hundred percent. There's something to that. I think it's, it's holding kids responsible and not giving them the need to always ask um, for permission or ask for something more, um, you know? And I think that that's important. You know, it, it kind of relates, I think, back to the firehouse today, too, where people always ask for permission. I think that we have a, a way about life today where we're always asking permission and how our kids are always looking for reassurance or permission to do something. And sometimes I think it's too much. I think we I think we coddle them too much sometimes. It's a tough line. It That's is like probably one of the toughest things I have with my wife is like. I, I have a completely, you know, not completely different upbringing. She's, you know, been American. She has Americans going back for a while in her family. So she has that look on life that like, I don't have. Right. And sometimes we like, it, it, we have to have that conversation with, with each other. Like, how are we going to raise our child or what, how are we going to do this? Um, where sometimes I'm like, no, just make him do it. He'll be fine. And she's like, no, like we have to help him. Like he has to, and it's like, it's a fine line to it cross, is. but. It is. And I know we, our parents were our parents were not having those conversations. Yeah. They were like, whatever. Nope. You got responsibility, kid. You better live up to it. And if not, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. I mean, I got spanked growing up. Me like too. The, the worst thing in the world. And I'll t- I'll give you an exact story. Growing up, I pissed my mother off. My parents would talk once a day on the phone. So if I if I pissed my mom off early in the day, my father remembers that all day long. So when he comes home, even when everything's fine at home now, because we we fixed it. Like if I made mom cry, I was getting yeah. beat, right? And I so remember the same thing. I remember making my mom cry to one time. She told my father, and then at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, when he comes home from work, the bedroom door flies open, and he's like, "What the hell's the matter with you?" And I'm like, yeah. "I don't even know what he's talking about," because it was so far earlier in the day. And then he he'd whoop your ass because you were out of line, and it was. Mm-hmm. 
You, I don't forget things like that, man. No, I, uh, I have very, very similar. I remember yeah. like hearing, the, hearing the work truck. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yep. You're like, shit, where am I going? I better go hide. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's all good though. Like, you know, he, he's learning lessons. Um, you know, he, he's growing, he's getting better. Like he's hockey. He's just, he's, he's, he's a good kid. He's got a good heart. He's got I a good it. soul. He's not getting into crazy trouble. If he comes from a good house, and you give him the time that he deserves and needs, and you lay a foundation. We're gonna have good kids, and that's what we need. You know, just hates when I take overtime. That's like his biggest. He's like, "You're taking overtime." Sorry, bud. I do my best. Yeah, you want to? You know, I. You want to go on vacation? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you you want to go to college? Yeah. You know, yeah. you want to play hockey? You know, it's like yeah. whatever it is, right? Hockey's not cheap, dude. You want? Yeah. How do you think I pay for hockey? Yeah. See, and I knew that too. Not bad, right? You can tell the right. hockey households, no doubt. So we were at growing up on the streets. Yeah. And- so, so I mean, you had you found discipline somewhere. I mean, you had discipline at home, no doubt. But you were mischievous. You're getting in trouble like the rest of us, you know, growing up and so on, experimenting, trying. But 22 years in the Army Reserve, man, you found uh, you found direction. 17 years old. Uh, 9/11 had like just happened, mm. uh, and at this point, like the the Thursday Friday nights are. They're intense. Like I'm going out with the, I'm, I'm leaving school on Friday and I'm not coming home until, you know, Sunday afternoon Damn. and uh, staying at friends' houses and stuff like that. But I think one of the things that kind of really led me to it is uh, one of my buddies was leaving for the Navy and we were all like, we're going to hang out. We're going to party. So my buddy brings me home, you know, 10 o'clock, got to be home. So I come home at 10 o'clock. He's waiting up the street, sneak out the window and I go out. You know, we're drinking, we're having a good time. Four o'clock in the morning, one of the kids like, oh, I just want to go home. I just live right down the street. Uh, so we get in the car, we go down, we drop him off. And on the way back, I think I had my first real introduction, uh, you know, to the Boston Fire Department because that kid did about 60 miles an hour into a tree, oh. broke his whole face open. I broke every rib in my rib cage. You He's did. Like, Come on, we'll just walk. Yeah, I broke every rib in my rib cage. He's like, we could just walk back to the house. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Wow. But then they board me. They bring me to the hospital. I'm like, now it's like a father looking at it. Like, I remember being wheeled into children's hospital. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm screaming in pain. And then all I see is my dad's head come towering over me and is broke. It should hurt a lot less if you were still at home. And I was just like, oh, damn. Wow. Yeah. Wild. Wow. So then, you know, 9-11 happens. I'm kind of living on the edge of of uh, of the curve. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to join the Army. I'm going to go. I'll straighten myself out. And, and I join the Army. Uh, so I went to basic training between my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, and then Iraq had kicked off like the next year. So everyone's going all over the place. And uh, I didn't have my military police school done yet. So like I couldn't go. So then the following summer, I do military police school. Uh, you know, I'm in college at this point. And then then the bomb drops on me like, hey, get ready. So it's like 2004. Okay. Um, so 2005, 2006. Uh, I was a truck commander in doing convoy securities all over the roads of Iraq mm. uh, during some pretty, pretty rough times over there. You know, that's kind of when the, the, Sh- the Sunnis and the Shiites were really going at it. You know, they were kidnapping guys out of trucks. They were roadside bombs all over the place. It was uh, it was a wild time to be there. I can just remember thinking like at 21 years old, I'm like, I'm turning 21 and I'm driving through Fallujah and I'm like, <laughs> What am I doing with my life? Yeah. My buddies are all out at the beach getting hammered right now. And, you know, I'm driving through Fallujah. Um, but I really feel like that deployment, that leadership, the the things that I experienced uh, on that deployment coming home 
um, really like set my, you know, I had a different radar in life than most, you know what I mean? People, you know, complain about these little woes of the world and like, you know, what's going on. And then you think, and it's like, just think of the experience that like I just been through, you know what I mean? Like nothing, nothing can compare to that. For um, sure. I mean, I in, home, <clears throat> go ahead. Right. No, please. So I came home. Um, I attempted to go back to college. Uh, that didn't really work out that well, you know, cause at that point I was, you know, back to drinking all the time again and drinking was starting to cause like some problems in my life. Um, you know, and, and after probably, probably like a year of being home, you know, a couple of friends pulled me to the side and they're like, dude, Mike, like your drinking is, it's out of control. Like yeah. you, need, you need to get something, you need, you need to get help. And I was like, really? Like, is it? So then I met with someone at the VA, uh, you know, went through like a little uh, uh, drunk treatment program, I guess you could call it. And, you know, I stopped drinking um, for a period of time. You know, I stayed sober for like a year and then I had another, you know, uh, lapse in judgment, if you want to call it that. Um, but the funny thing is through all this whole time of me, like trying to like get off the booze and like stay sober, like 2008, Boston, you know, sends me a card to get on the job. And I'm like, I can't take that right now. Cause if I take that, I'm not going to get the job or I'm not going to keep the job. Yeah. So then 12, same thing. Um, and in this period I had like met my wife, we met in 2009. Um, and you know, we're trying to like go through like, you know, courting and relationship and, and, and then like we get engaged and, um, so we end up getting married. Um, and I'm like, still kind of like on the, the fence with the drinking at this point, we get married. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, after she got married, she's like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, cool. That, that kind of. <laughs> That's kind of what did it. Um, and the fact that like, I got another card from the Boston fire department. I was like, listen, it's, it's now or never. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like November of 13, I think, or November of 14. And then I got on the fire department in August of 14. When you, when you came back, I mean, shit, I, there's so many guys that are veterans that have served our country. They come back and they, you know, go into the fire department, they go into the police department and so on. And I mean, you're a kid, 21 years old, the amount of things that you saw and did at that time. And you compared it to your friends that didn't go and they were sitting on the beach and enjoying life and so on. You had to grow up very fast. And a lot of that is, yeah. is that struggle. Then when you got home to readjust, um, there's, I think a lot of people, yeah. Talk to I me about like, that. I didn't realize, like, I just was like, you know, I'm having a good time. Like, what, what do you mean? Like what's going on? And, but like, if you were someone like looking from the outside, you're like, can't hold a job. Every time I see you, you're drunk. You know, you're constantly like out partying and, and, and doing your thing. And you're not, you're not like doing the things that a normal, you know, 21, 22 year old at that point should be doing. Um, like you can't hold a job. I'm like constantly like I get a job. I got it for six weeks. And the guy's like, listen, dude, you're doing a great job, but you know, you, you're not showing up. Yeah. Um, and all these things started happening. I was just kind of like, is it really? Were like, you wrecking? Did you, you said your friends pulled you aside, but did you have oh, yeah. that aha moment and go, you know what? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm falling it down took, here. It, it, it took me a while yeah. to get the aha moment. Just, you know, uh, just different things were happening that I was kind of just like, whatever it's, it's, it's normal stuff. But um, what I failed to like realize at the time was like, most of this stuff was just caused by like stuff that was stuck in my head from like Iraq. You know what I mean? Um, when it came down to it and, and like, you know, sat down with the doctors and we and we kind of went through it, like 
I was never able to like put the drink down and, and like stop drinking until I was able to address some of the stuff that like had happened in Iraq. Cause like, you know, you, you're over there, you're, you're constantly on guard. Like people are shooting at you. They're shooting RPGs at you. They're dropping mortars on you. You're getting hit with roadside bombs. And like that stuff's happening like in the moment. It's like, it's like going into a fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go down the hallway, you open up the nozzle, you open up the nozzle. You're like, all right, victim. Cool. You pull them out. And then after the job, after that job, you know, everyone gets to go home and sit at the kitchen table and talk and have a good time. There was like none of that available in Iraq. Like it was go, go, go. So we never had time to like <clears throat> process like what had happened. It just kind of was just, and you move to the next thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but like I was, I was struggling from PTSD. You yeah. Know I mean, like the PTSD was my, the drinking was my way to curb that, to yeah. stop me from, from doing it. Well, it numbed you out, right? I mean, it, it just took you away from the, the thoughts and the struggles that you were having from the experiences you lived. I mean, that's, you right. know, it's understandable, you know, and I think so many people deal with that, battle that not only just veterans of, of, you know, the, the service, but also in the fire department, how many guys 100%. are numbing themselves you know, on the things that they've done or seen or been a part of um, and finding ways to, to numb themselves out and, you know, and alcohol, that's a, drugs. That's like the wild thing. Yeah. That's the wild thing. Right? Like some of the stuff I had seen in Iraq was like wild, you know, sure. like dis dismemberments. And you're a kid, man. You're a 21, freaking right? kid. But you go to some of the same type of stuff on the fire department. I agree. You know what I mean? Like some of these guys that have been on the job 20, 30 years, they're looking at people that have jumped off buildings, bad car accidents, people under the trains, you know, like those, that stuff sticks with you. And and like, you know, thank God, like they did a good job of, of like advertising it. And like people pulled me aside and like recognized it in me, even though yeah. I didn't recognize it myself. Yeah. And I was able to go through, get the help that I needed, uh, you know, quit drinking essentially you know it's been it's been over 10 years now that i haven't had a drink um it's awesome but like i have the best life today you know what i mean yeah like i go out with the boys we have a good time like i don't have to drink i can still go out and like i think that's a big thing that people think of when they want to if they think about stop drinking like everything's gonna end and it's like yeah for a period of time you got to build up a defense and, and get like strong enough so you can do that but like now like I can go out and have a good time. I can go to the bar and hang out. And, you know, it doesn't mean I have to have a drink. Everyone, all the guys at work know, they're like, all right, Lion's going to have a Pepsi. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> That's like, good, though. Let them know yeah, that, right? Know. Yeah, they respect they it, too. It's uh, And they do. And I think that's the most important thing, right, is is that to be accepted by your peers. I think a lot of the struggle for, for many people is showing that vulnerability that like, you know, hey, I'm not going to have a drink or hey, I don't want to drink or can't have one. They don't want to say that, right, because it makes them look weak or, or you know, not a, a, equal with their peers. But I think now more than ever, it's highly respected. Um, you know, when you take care of yourself, take care of your own health, that means, you know, you're taking care of your family, you're taking care of your priorities, those things matter, man. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at you and you have this beautiful wood shop behind you and it's, you know, and you work hard outside of the firehouse and you wouldn't be able to do all that. You wouldn't be able to have a beautiful nine-year-old and a beautiful wife and all those things, you know? Right. That's the thing. That's, that's the, is like, you know, they say uh, around sometimes like you can give up one thing and have everything or take one thing and have nothing. That's it. Strong. I, I want the life. I want the life I have today. You know what I mean. My life's good today. I love my job. I love being in the army. I love my family. Like, you know, shooting the breeze with you guys at all these different events you guys put on. Like, yeah, this fire service in general. Uh, you know, it's amazing. If it fuels me too, man. Um, you know, I need this. You know, I needed this this morning to just catch up with you and and to get to know your story a little bit more and and so on. I need that. It's important to me, just like you. It's important to me too. Um. 
For sure. So 22 years in the Army as a first sergeant, right? So that's where you are today. You're still active? Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to give up the first sergeant job. How does, sergeant. how does that work in the reserves? So do you still have to do like one one weekend a month and then like a couple weeks a year or something like that? Give me a little breakdown on that. Yeah, so um, I'm the first sergeant of a, of a company size element. So there's 170 something soldiers in my company that, that I'm like directly responsible for. Like okay. I'm their, uh, their senior enlisted leader. Got it. Right. So I'm like the senior man of all those 170 mm-hmm. guys. Um, you know, we have drills every month, you know, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whether we're going to the ranges, we're doing driver's training, we're doing fitness stuff. Um, but me as a first sergeant, like I have to do all of this other stuff Monday through Friday. Yeah. Um, additionally, and it's a lot. Um, being a first sergeant is not an easy gig because there's a lot of stuff like, yeah, like the soldiers show up on the weekends and, the, and there are two weeks during the summer, but like the unit still has to run Monday through Friday. So there's a lot of decisions and a lot of administrative things that I have to be directly involved in. And it's just a lot of time, but it's been, it's been just about seven years Wow. Um, that I've been first sergeant. Yeah. So I'm trying to trying to wrap it up and trying to recruit someone else to come in and, and take over for me. Okay. All right. I mean, what do you do you have an obligation as a reservist? Like do you have to do X amount of years or something like that before or there's a retirement too, right? There's like a pension that comes from it, right? Yeah. So you can get you get like a reserve pension. You yeah. can retire and get a, a portion of what you would normally make in your reserve status. For me, like at this point, like I just want the piece of paper. That says, you know, honorably <laughs> retired yeah, uh, from the right. United States Army. Right. But as having 22 years in, uh, you know, I got another one or two more years to go uh, just due to the years of like, you know, when I was when I was drinking, I didn't do I didn't have a couple of good years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't, I got it. They don't count towards my retirement. So I'm just waiting to hit that that mark of 20 good years. And then nice. I'm, I'm going to retire. Good for you. That's fantastic. Good friend of mine was in the Army Reserve. Uh, he went to Iraq as well, um, and so on. He's with the uh, engineering division, um, yeah. and so on. But uh, you know, it was uh, a time that he doesn't talk much about. Um, but uh, I know it. It certainly had a lasting impact on him and who he is. And he just retired from the reserves a few years ago now, um, so on. But he was for a long time was always doing his weekends and and all of that. Yeah. So yeah, for sure, and it's tough too. Like you know, the fire department doing the FEMA stuff, teaching, uh, you know, throwing the army on top of that is just like, sometimes I'm just like, <sighs> well, in, in you and I were talking about that. I think before we hit record was like trying to find time for everything. Right. And that's always the struggle. And what I think though is important though, too, is for a guy like you. And I know I'm the same way. If I'm left with too much idle time, that's where I can get myself in trouble. I like to be busy. I like to famous, have things on my plate. Famous words from my mother was, <laughs> He would always say to me in her, in her Irish brogue, she'd be like, idle hands are the devil's workshop. hundred percent. You know what I mean? And and that's why I just keep busy. You know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you do all this stuff? I'm like, yeah. I can't, what do you want me to sit still and do nothing? Yeah. I think it's important. So talk to me then about your, your fire department. So you, you took the card. You, life is, life is uh, all over the place. You're married. You. You're married. Point, right. I had like just got married. Yeah. Um, my son was born in July. 
I start the academy in August. Oh my so gosh. It's funny. I look back now, like there's guys from the firehouse, they take like, you know, FMLA and they take all this time off. I'm like, I, I'm like going through the academy with like a, you know, a, a brand newborn, new infant. A newborn home. It was uh and a new wife. Really <laughs> and huh? A new marriage too. It was Yeah. You know, it was I don't oh, know how man. I did it. I no, definitely I couldn't have done it if I was drinking, I could tell you that much. Man, I don't know how you did it either. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of commitment, man. That's a lot on your plate at one time. But it was so important to me. Like I knew and like I don't know where it came from. You know, I feel like on Boston, you know, some of our guys like they're they're born and they're like, you're going to be a Boston yeah, firefighter. Right, right. You know what I mean? It had always been a thing in the back of my head. Like, I should get on the fire department. It's a good job. But, um, you know, we actually had a line of duty um, back in 14. Uh, Michael Kennedy. Michael Kennedy was a very good friend of mine. And mm. I remember I was at Army training. Uh, and I was talking to him the night prior to uh, the Beacon Street fire. And he was telling me, he's like, listen, you got your card. Just keep your head down. Uh, you know, get in the academy, do your thing. And then Beacon Street uh, had happened the next day. Wow. Uh, and, it, and it was just one of those things. And I remember like being at the academy and, and some of the guys, you know, from the last class that had been at that fire, um, you know, were coming down doing EMS training and they're like heads are wrapped. I mean, I have a clear picture of like our now union president, uh, Sam Dillon, was down at the academy doing training and he's all wrapped up from the Beacon Street fire. And I'm, I'm like a probie in the probie class and I'm just like, Wow. Crap. Yeah. You know, this is wild. Yeah. Um, but got through the academy, you know, it was pretty uh, you know, we do four groups. I was in group two and did, you know, got through it fine, you know, nothing crazy. Um, got assigned to engine 10. Uh, and I've actually been in that house the entire time. So I've done engine 10, towel out of three, and rescue one. Yeah, that's the big house, right? Right downtown there. Big house. Yeah. We've had you down there. Yeah, yeah. I stopped in quick briefly. Briefly, I got to get back for sure. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout... For a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I want to hop into it real quick. It is designed with a 4-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart and manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop 
in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about Standpipe and FBC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the Standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters. You wheel it out into the parking lot. And that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so did the fire department give you what you were looking for? Like, I know a lot of people talk about their time in the service, right? Army, Navy, whatever branch they're in. And when they come out, they're missing that camaraderie, that sense of brotherhood, that sense of unity and, and feeling, you know, something for the mission. Did the fire department give that back to you? Yeah, it <clears throat> definitely did. I mean, the, the firehouse camaraderie and like the kitchen table is just, it's insane. Like whether you're having like a good day and the guys got you back and they're behind you or, um, you know, things, things are kind of rough. Like guys will help out, do what they can for you. Like, you know, um, it's, you can't explain it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no way to, there's no way to explain, you know, what goes on at the firehouse. It's, it's just one of those things where it's an internal thing and, and the guys, as much as they want to like ride you and, and, you know, get on your case about stuff, like at the end of the day, like everyone that I work with is willing to like, you know, go in there and get me if I need it. You know what I mean? It's the, it's reciprocal. Like everybody I work with, like I trust that like if I fall through a floor or I get stuck somewhere that everybody that I sit down with and have dinner with, like they're all coming in in force. Yeah. Um, And I think that goes back to the service, right? Like Boston is a civil service uh, hiring, you know, uh, fire department. So most of the people that, that make it to the opportunity to get a card are, have been veterans since, you know, the Iraq war started. So I'd say a, a, a good, you know, 70, 80%, you know, it could be even higher than that of the, the workforce in Boston are all veterans, whether they're Marines, they're Coast Guard. They're, it makes sense. Navy. It's a, it's, it's a small, big city, patriotic city. I'm sure there's a lot of guys like you that were walking the streets and needed some direction and they go off to find that direction. And it's crazy. I mean, there's, we got like, you know, Marine Corps colonels and Sergeant majors and, uh, green berets. We have you, you name it. We have air force pararescue guys, like all those guys that did that stuff in the service were like, you know, this is my way to, to kind of bridge the gap and, and, and establish that camaraderie and establish like, you know, that same kind of, um, networking and, and, and family that like I had in the service. That's what we have at the firehouse. Well, and that's what we want. I mean, that's, those are literally the people that we need. We want, we have to go after them and, and entice them 
to come to the fire service because now more than ever, we need people that have morals, ethics, values, a belief in something greater. I mean, you know, believing in the mission is easy to say, but do you, do you have the buy-in? Will you buy in? And for you to, for you to say what you have in your firehouse and to know that every single guy around that table is coming for you when you need it. It's powerful. And I think like going to engine 10, like, you know, some of the guys, you know, they're like, I got a hook. I'm going to 52 or I'm going to, you know, Grove Hall or I'm, I'm going to some of these like heavy, like fire duty companies. Um, I got assigned to engine 10 and like, I had no idea what technical rescue was or, or any of that stuff. And um, first being at engine 10, they, that back, you know, back then the, the run cards were, were a little different than they are today. So like engine 10, Every second alarm fire in the city of Boston, engine 10 was moving towards it. So like third, fourth alarm fires, like engine 10 was there. So as a, like a young probie new firefighter, like I got a ton of fire duty at like other people's fires, yeah. right? Like because yeah. it was going on the second, the third alarm. Um, but then also like being introduced to like the technical rescue stuff, right? The rope stuff, the trench stuff, the water was a big one for me. Um, and I, I feel like I grasped onto that kind of stuff over the fire duty you know that was like i feel like when i was introduced to the tech rescue side of the house i was just kind of like i am all in like this really? is this is what i want to do yeah because it's fun. like you're like hanging off the side of the building on rope or you're going down into an elevator shaft or you're you know doing swift water rescues or you're you know it's 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 wild the amount of things that happen and in my house being on engine 10 and, and the tower and the rescue like they're the first ones there to those kinds of incidents so you're trying to like solve these problems where you got this guy that's, you know, half naked over water, hanging under a bridge. And like, you're like, how do you get this guy out? Do we like, you know, do we put him in a harness and lower him down and then get him in the boat. And it's like, or, you know, people that get hit by the trains or people that, you know, scaffolding, like all those, those, those calls that like the, the regular first do companies show up and they're like, yeah, can you start the rescue? Like, yeah. <clears throat> the call that like I'm all about. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's fun, right? And you found yourself to the rescue now. So you're riding on rescue one, um, which is a busy company and it yeah. offers a wide variety of opportunity. And I think that's, what's fun. And when you talk to a lot of guys like yourself with the tech, tech rescue stuff, it's like, you're either in or you're not right. And it's like, you buy yeah. into it, then you're all, you gotta be all in, right? Because it's, it's a different discipline every single day that you have to stay fresh on. And there's so much to it. And yeah. The technology changes. Like I can remember the, you know, going from like the rack to the eight to the different devices that we have used over the years. Like, you know, people look at that stuff and they're like, what's a clutch? I thought it was an MPD. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the technology's is moving changing. forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things where you're right. You, you do have to like stay up on it. You do have to, you know, use it and 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 go through the paces of it and and exercise that equipment because a rope bag is great all those devices are great sitting on the truck but like when it comes game time and you have to you know you're going down an elevator shaft you know 30 40 feet to get people out of it like that's not the time to be like does the rope go this way or right. that way right you know what i mean um and yeah guys will razz you for it they'll they'll you know they call you the tech rescue guru or the nerd or whatever but it's like that's just one of those things where i I fell into, right. You got the guys that are all about, you know, flow paths and progression with smoke and getting down hallways and stuff like that. Different tactics for that stuff. The, uh, the tech rescue just kind of been my, my thing. And I like, 
you know, people say all the time, like, I don't claim to be any type of like a, an expert at it. Like I'm still, I consider myself a student of it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. I I don't attempt to know everything. Um, I try to keep myself educated. I try to stay up on things. I try to learn. I try to make myself better in every day. You know what I mean? If I go to the firehouse and learn something new every day, like I'm winning. So you're, so when you, when you got the, the engine 10 spot, is that what introduced you to tech rescue or did you in the service have any exposure to any specialty stuff as well? No, it was just right at it. So when you go to engine 10, engine 10, towel out of three rescue one, make up division one's technical rescue company. Got it. So we get assigned to that company, uh, after probie school, it's kind of similar to like, you know, FDNY, how they have the, like the rescue school. Yep. It's very similar to that. You, you, you're taken out of service. You put up, you know, into training for a couple of weeks where you're going through rope, trench, uh, water, vehicle, high angle. You're going through all those disciplines of tech rescue. Um, and at that point, you know, I was like, I, I don't know what any of it was at first. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, right. It, it, That's it, what I was curious about. Right. I mean, yeah, but you're a mechanical guy. I mean, you grew up in a, in a, in a builder's home, right? I mean, he was a contractor, right? So it's like you grew up with that. And I think that I, I find that a lot with guys that are, very talented with their hands, their technical, their, their brain is, has a technical way about it. Do very, very well in, in those fields. Yeah. I, I just feel like, and, and I feel like, you know, sometimes, especially now, like on the rescue company, like you show up to calls and you like, look at something and you're like, all right, how do I disassemble? This? Yeah. You know? And yep. sometimes I feel like, you know, I feel like a nerd at night watching like how it's made on like TV. <laughs> I, I I love it. That's my life, product, man. Like, I love that. How they put them together. Yeah. And it's like, well, at some point, like you could, have, you might have to come disassemble something like that. Um, but that you're right. It's that technical knowledge that sometimes it, that pays off. You know, you got guys that are electricians, That's you got guys that are plumbers. Right. You know, we, we had a fire the other day in the 17th floor of a, of a high rise. And I'm like looking for one of the guys. I'm like, Sam, what do they do with the gas shutoffs, you know, in 17 story high rises? Right. And he was like, hey, two feet out from the appliance. And and it was right there. Yeah. So it's always cool to have different trades to rely on. For sure. You talked about diving. I know you like to dive. Um, yeah. Did that come through the fire department as well? It did. It did. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot know, of water, a lot of water in Boston. Lots of indirectly. water. Indirectly. Indirectly. So I had gone, obviously gotten on engine 10, you know, and we go to like the water rescues. We try to get there first and save the person, but sometimes, you know, t- too much time has passed. Yeah. The person's on there. Um, it, it becomes a dive operation at that sure. point. And, and I saw those guys and I was like, man, like I would really love to do that. And, you know, my wife tells me all the time, she's like, you know, you were like just hard headed. You set your head to, you set your path to something. And like, no matter what it is, like you will just, eventually you will get there and you'll, yeah. you'll, so I started diving. I did, you know, the open water, just regular. I started going, I interned at a dive shop. So I was like learning all this stuff and I was getting all these additional That's extra cool. classes. So I get the rescue and and I ended up, you know, towards the end becoming like a assistant instructor. So like the next thing, the next level for me would be like an open water instructor. Right. Um, did the dive master, did all of the master diver, you know, things. And then uh, a group out of, uh, I think he's out of Philly. Um, Northeast public safety divers, any PSD, uh, Tim and his crew, um, they had a class up in New Hampshire. They were doing a, a fire department in New Hampshire, teaching them public safety diving. So like I went out of my way, took money on my own pocket, went up there, took this class so that like when Boston fire eventually had like their tryouts, I had like a, a stack of, of experience, yeah. you know, not something that I'm, I'm, I was like any expert at it, but like I had experience in these things. So we had the tryouts. Um, 
you know, I make it to round two because like, you know, again, it's kind of like a, a political thing, you know, small nepotistic department, right? It's very, very hard if you're not in that circle to get on. So um, I did the tryout number one, did tryout number two, and then like just silence for, it was a probably, it felt like almost a year. And I'm on vacation with my wife and we're in Aruba and I had just come back diving from like a 120 <laughs> foot dive on these two ships. Nice, that's cool. I get the email. And they get the email and he's like, Hey, you know, welcome to the team. Um, so then like, then I'm a probie again. Right. And this is only maybe two or three years ago. Yeah. A probie again. So is this a separate unit or does the rescue maintain divers every tour? Like how does that work in Boston? So we don't maintain divers every tour. It's a separate entity. So if there's like a water rescue call, like me being on the rescue is an advantage because I'm a diver on the rescue. Got it. But most of the other divers that are on duty, like they could be coming from other engine companies. 37. They Got could it. be coming from a park. They could be coming from anywhere. And then if something turns into an actual dive incident where they activate the dive team, guys will come in from home. Oh, okay. Straight to the scene. Got it. Got it. So that's been a, an interesting thing. And that's like one of those things, like I'm still like the, the new guy on the dive team, right? I'm still trying to learn and, and learn the way they do things. And, you know, uh, those are the kind of incidents like you hope not to have because they're usually not good. Yeah. Um, but you know, we go to, we do our training. We just did a drill the other day with the state police. We're trying to maintain some, uh, relationships with different people. So when these things happen, you know, the more, the merrier. Well, that's it. I mean, a lot of times if it is a recovery dive, it's a, it's a duration operation, right? And it's, you're talking black water, you're talking currents, right? I mean, what Boston Harbor is not a gentle place to swim. No. And it's, crazy the amount of like water so like uh my firehouse is the whole is surrounded right. yes that's what i was saying there's a, there's a ton of water in boston there's like the charles river there's ponds right. there's all kinds of like outfalls and then obviously sometimes like the surrounding communities like you know they might not have the capability to to get a diver in the water at some of their ponds right. so sometimes we'll go mutual aid to another town and, and and go do recoveries for them yeah how rewarding is the is the the water work? I mean, it's um, it's a solo. I mean, obviously you have a tender and there's people that go into the process, but when you go underwater, you're by yourself, bro. So it's very interesting how diving kind of tied back into my drinking. Interesting. And, and, and so when I started diving, um, I was the piece that I got under the water, like being you know, 70, 80 feet under the water and just like looking at like the earth and the way like the rock formations are formed and the different things. And obviously like going hunting lobsters was, is fun too. Um, But that like serenity, that piece that you get down there where you're just quiet, like Mm. there's no noise in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. um, That's kind of like what got me in to diving. Interesting. Um, Obviously now on the work side, it's, it's a little more hyper-focused and, and, you know, there's no, you're not calm when I'm diving for work. It's usually, like you said, it's, it's oh, black yeah. water. Yeah. You're just feeling around, um, you know, and, and that can like be nerve wracking at times too, right? Like you're in, you're in the Boston Harbor and it, you can't see anything or you're in some muck pond, uh, you know, where you, you can't see a thing. And, and like, you really have to depend, like if something goes wrong, like someone's either going to come in after me or, you know, uh, those guys are going to pull me out because again, right. Like diving is one of those things where like the human body cannot survive underwater, right? Cannot. If you don't have your regulator in your mouth, um, you have limited time. I mean, even, so, even in fire, right. Other than flashover, even if we get caught and we're running low on air, we run out of air and we mask off our survival rate is a little bit better than underwater. 
Oh yeah. Water Absolutely. is, you know, that's where I'm saying you really have to have an unbelievable mindset to be able to put yourself there. And it, it do you almost feel like I'm, now this is me just getting um, inquisitive. Do you almost like feel removed from it? Like you're watching from above when you're diving? Like, do you almost remove yourself from like what you're actually doing? And you're almost like you're, you're viewing it from outside of your body. I mean, as weird as that sounds I'm curious, it, it, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like a programmed machine. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, you know, back in the army, they used to make you do things over and over and over again. And right. like that repetition, you know, built muscle memory so that like when you're getting shot at, like the first thing you do is like take cover. It's just, sure. it's just secondary nature to you. Right. And I feel like some of that stuff with diving is the same thing, right? No matter what the condition, whether you can see everything, if you know your equipment's good, your comms are good and, and you get down there. The first thing we do when we drop down, no matter what the depth is, we drop down, you kind of take a second, make sure your suit's good, make sure everything's feeling good. You get centered and then you give the guy a tug and you let him know you're good to go. And then you start whatever you're going to do. And it doesn't matter if you can see um, or, or or you can't. It's that trust in the guy above you knowing that, like, if something goes wrong, he'll pull you out. And, like, that is, like, it's that bond, again, it's yeah. like those bonds you have at the firehouse yeah. and at work with the guys you work with. Like, you're putting your life in this guy's hands and and knowing that, like, if something goes wrong, he's got your back. And, and it's it's mutual, right? So, like, when I get out of the water and I'm sitting up on top of the water and I'm safety-ing for him, or if I'm the tender, um, it, it, it's it's a wild it's a wild feeling. Well, you come solely dependent on the one on the end of that rope, right? I mean, it's uh, yeah. there's a, there's an inherent trust that has to be there um, and a level of expertise and, and uh, knowledge and experience, right? Yeah. It comes down to, like, making sure your equipment's good to go and... and doing your, your, your checks and making sure your gear is all set. Like that's why we drill every month. We're always doing something once a month to get out there and exercise our equipment. And, you know, it's funny. People ask me like, when do you stop diving? I'm like, we don't no. like, so you go diving in February in the ocean. Yeah. You have yeah. To. Well, I mean, listen, under ice, I mean, whatever it is, right. I mean, these are operations that you're going to be a part of if, if something happens and in an urban setting like yours, people are walking on frozen ponds. People are, you know, falling into the river. I mean, it's just, it's an every, it's yeah, not of, every day, but it's of, a regular occurrence. I'm sure. I don't know if this story is like made it out like nationally or not, but like, there's a story of a kid that fell through the ice in Rhode Island. I think it was in like the eighties or nineties. Sometimes mm. he falls through the ice. He's under the water for over 20 minutes. Oh, I want to say he's under the water yeah. for like a half hour. Yep. Uh, the diver goes down, they get him out, they rush him to the hospital and like he survives, right? Because remember, like, I don't know if you remember, like when you're young, learning EMS, like, you know, they haven't passed away till they're cold, till they're warm right? and, and passed away, right? right. Mm -hmm. And and that's just one of those things, like 30 minutes later, they went down there, they got this kid and they brought him to the hospital and he survived. You know, when I remember that, how I know that, you remember that show with William Shatner, Rescue 911? Yeah. Remember that show? <laughs> oh yes. yeah, man. Yes. I used to, I, we used to watch that, the Donch House oh, all the time. And it was that, on that. I remember that. It was on there. That I, show was, that. I can like hear the theme song in my head right, right now. Like, oh, I used to watch so, that as a kid. He was so dramatic with his narration of it. It was so good. But that was go a fantastic show. Yeah. Go on YouTube now and like watch it now. I will. Like, what? I will. Watching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is this? Like, how did we watch yeah. this years ago? Not only um, that, but how did we watch also. it? We all sat around and watched it together as like a family. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Wow. 
Interesting for sure. So what's next for you, brother? I mean, you got a lot on your plate. Not only, um, you know, you ride in the back of Rescue One, you're a diver for the department, but you also are on the USAR team, right? Um, the yeah. FEMA team, right? And you're teaching tech rescue at the Massachusetts State Fire Academy. I mean, you got a beautiful wife and child at home. You run your carpentry business on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just go, go, go. I'm putting, I'm actively, like I said before, I'm actively trying to um, retire out of the army. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Like I love doing, I've been doing it a long time. It, it means the world to me. Um, but there's places that I would, I would rather put my time these days. Um, my goal is to, is to like get out of the army and like put some more time into the FEMA team. Um, that's just one of those places where I go up there and I feel like I'm learning from like the giants. Um, well, yeah, those guys up there, the things I learned, the, 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 the people, these, like some of these guys up there, like they're the guys that write the books on this. Yes. You know, I'm reading like a tech rescue manual or a trench manual, and like the guy that wrote the book is standing right next to me. Um, and that's, that's been another cool, uh, a, a cool thing that I've done. Um, super time intensive. Um, you know, I was lucky enough. We went down to, uh, not Katrina. We went to, I forget the name of the storm. We went down to Louisiana, uh, two years ago. Okay. Uh, on a, And that was like, you know, looking and going in there and, and being, walking around some of those parishes where like that hurricane just came in and just wiped the place yeah. clean. Um, being able to go into like, you know, another city's, um, you know, back roads and side streets and go into their neighborhoods, like as a Boston firefighter, but a member of, you know, the Massachusetts task force to be able to go in and like help them. Um, that was really cool. That felt back that tied back to like my army days, mm. you know what I mean? Um, so I feel like that's every phase of my life has kind of been the same. But being able to give back to those people has been really cool, too. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parallels, right? Being deployed, going, you have a mission, you're helping people. I mean, it's just, yeah. it all goes hand in hand. I mean, that's literally what your whole adult life has been. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's true. It's like sometimes, like, you think back and, like, you know, you think about it, but it's true. You know what I mean? Like, that, it's uh, <clears throat> service-oriented, service-dedicated, I guess you could say. Um my wife brought it up this weekend, but the, uh, when I was, when my, after my mom passed away, um, you know, I'd been pulled out of college to go to Iraq. When I got back from Iraq, I attempted to go back to college and, you know, it just wasn't the time, but like, after my mom passed away, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm going to put my head to it. I'm going to go get a bachelor's degree. I don't care what I have to do. Um, but I went and I worked on getting my bachelor's degree. And it's, it's funny, the, the college that I went to, they had a campus right down the street from the firehouse. So the boss used to let me on Tuesday nights, he'd be like, take a radio, go to class. You know what I mean? And that's just like one of those things, like he was taking care of me. You know what I mean? He he knew it was important to me. He wanted me to go. And if something came up, I just ran out of class and hopped on the truck and, and off we went. Um, but that was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to get my degree. And I went after it and I, awesome. you know, now I got the diploma. <clears throat> well, it's achievement. I mean, it's important, right? I, I talk a lot about like fulfillment and I talk about how important that is in life. And you're only as good in the firehouse as you are in your personal life. If your personal life's in shambles, you're going to be a mess at the firehouse. It's just hands down. I, I, I believe that. Um, and I've seen it, you know, and hey, I've had my moments too. There's no doubt. Um, but fulfillment is important. And I don't think it's talked about enough that people need to have a sense of fulfillment in their own life, which makes them a better person. I believe that. And so- 
And I totally agree. <laughs> and I remember, I mean, I feel like I I subscribed to to you guys, National Fire, like early on. Like, I remember. Like, we're like just starting out. And it was one of those things where it's like, these guys are talking about the the things at the kitchen table that, like you said, are fulfilling. Like the, the conversations you guys have, the people you interview, the events you go to, um, that's the kind of stuff on the fire side that just like I love. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, learning how to be a senior man and and, and like just the the different, you know, problems that guys come up with them, you know, learning how to new probe at the house. Like what what do I do? And 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 being able to like mentor and coach and develop like those those younger guys coming on giving them a platform, you know, so it's not like just walking in the door blindly. Like they have some type of a, a background they can look on or they can re- resort back to, to like help them be better, which is, you know, all that does is make the fire surf- service better. It makes us better. It makes the world go around, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I love going to fire. There's no doubt, yeah. but there are other things about the fire department, the fire service that are, probably as equally important to me. Um, you know, I don't get me wrong. I love going to fires. I, I love putting myself to the test and working with a team and, and having that moment at the end where it's, you know, success. And if it's not, we're going to do better next time because we're going to work at it. But I love that. But the other side of it is everything you just mentioned. And that fuels me, man. It, it, the fire service has done so much for me just as a person And I look at what I've been able to do over the last few years and the relationships I've made and the people I get to talk to and the people I get to call friends. Like you and I would have never met if I didn't do national fire radio. Right. And like, you know, to be able to share stories and experiences and for you to be open and honest today in your story, I think it's going to help someone somewhere, somewhere down the road, somewhere. I think that somebody can relate. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do with our platform is to really just have real talk about what we're dealing with, what we, who we are, what we face, how life is. Um, and that part of it is important for me because that's when I know we can, we can make an impact and we can help along the way. And this job is so good. It's volunteer career. It doesn't matter if you're into the fire service, you're into the fire service. And that for me is why I get to talk to awesome people all day long. It's because the fire service is made up of incredible people that I want to call friends that I want to learn more about and call friends. And, and life doesn't get any better than that, man. Surround yourself with a network of people that make you want to be better. You win. That's it. That's it. You know, you, you put yourself around people, uh, you know, that are better than you, but have the same, you know, like-mindedness as you, all you're going to do is improve yourself, you know? Um, I tell my son that all the time. I'm like, listen, you gotta, you gotta work to the next level. You gotta always be trying to, trying to do, trying to get better at what you do. One of my big things, and you know, one of the reasons I made it up to be a first sergeant in the army is I was always trying to take the guy ahead of me's job. Yes. When I was a private, what do I need to do to become a team leader? Well, I got to do this school, I got to do that school, and I got to have time and service. And I like did that stuff, and, and I and I worked my way all the way up through all the levels of education, you know, up to being a first sergeant, and. You know, people tell me all the time at work, they're like, why don't you study? You know, you'd be a great lieutenant. And I'm like, I love being a blue shirt. Like being a blue <laughs> shirt is where it's at for me, man. Like I don't see myself studying. I don't see myself being a lieutenant anytime, anytime soon. Um, being being like, you know, as you guys said, I, I and I wish sometimes that like I lived through those days, like being on the back step. You know what I mean? Like the way that the, the, the fire service is, the the different history. And like, obviously we have a ton of history sure. in Boston, but like looking back and looking at some of those fires and the way they operate and the way they do things. It's like, 
man, like there's something special to that. There's something that's got, you know, that holds deep near to your heart, you know, and, and you look at those, those firefighters, you know, throughout the years that have, have, have served honorably and, and done their job and, and moved forward. It's like, now that's in your hands. Yeah. Right. And as you move along in your career, I look backwards now to the guys coming on and I'm like, I got to take five minutes with them, you know, once a tour to go over something with them. It's important, you know, teach them something or, and you know, my big thing. And, and I try not to bring like my first sergeantness uh, to the firehouse. Cause in the army, like the first sergeant is like the, he's like the boss right. you know, making everything happen. So he's always yelling, screaming at people making, you got to do this. You got to do that. But when you come into the firehouse in the morning and, and you get changed and, you, and you, you shoot the shit at the kitchen table and you, and you hang out and then it's time to go start the housework, you know, you clean those toilets you, you do the sinks, you mop the floor, you do what you're supposed to. If you start your day like that, you can only go up from there. And I sometimes find it hard to believe that when the guys come in and like, they're not doing that stuff or they're not helping out that like, how can, if I can't expect you to clean up the trash and, and, and put the trash away, mop the floor, like, how do I expect you, you know, to, to rappel down the side of a building if someone's stuck or, you know, in a mayday situation, go into a building and make sure your gear is 100% squared away. Because at the time when, you, when you're going in on a mayday, like, that's not the time to be like, oh, my hair's low or I didn't check my bottle. Like, all those little things we do in the firehouse every morning, they lead. There's reasons we do them. There's bigger reasons for everything we do. Um, and that's kind of just how I've always operated. Is, is trying to make sure that like I'm always in the position to help someone. I'm always in the position that like I'm never going to caught my, get caught my pants down. Hundred percent. Say that it doesn't happen. Hey, it happens. But when you when your demeanor is exactly that, and you just said that's how you were. How do I take the next guy's job? I mean, you were always planning and working hard at pushing yourself forward. So if you do that in a repetitious way in the firehouse every single day the little tasks become important when the big task has to happen. There's no doubt. Yeah. Really well said. So what's next for you, man? Anything just riding backwards for the rest of the, of, the, of your time or what? Yeah. I love um, it. I love it. Like I said, when I get out of the army, I, when the army's wrapped up, just kind of focusing more on the FEMA team, uh, the, the teaching with the state's been going really well. Good. Um, you know, a couple extra bucks in the pocket and helping some other departments with some training that, you know, uh, they need, but you know, raising my son, you know, that's cool. being there for him, going to his hockey games, and 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 just being around, and you know, wow. this woodshop's a, a big piece of it too. That's the biggest job you have, and uh, you know, you and I both recognize that for sure. That family matters, and um, you got to take that time, and you got to devote the time to it because that's the only way that it it works. So, my man, Mike Lydon, thank you, brother. Thanks for joining me today. It goes quick, huh? Dude, that was it. Wow. <laughs> Um, I wish I could come see you next weekend. Well, we're going to be, I'm going to be speaking Saturday in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, I think, which is on like the New York border. Um, looking forward to that. We got that posted on our social media. If anybody's interested, join us, man. I'm doing my bridging the gap presentation, which I love doing. Cause I talk about the, the senior man to the junior man and how we don't talk well anymore. We don't communicate. So it's, Pat's going to be a really, uh, I'm excited really to meet him for sure. Awesome. Yeah, Pat's, Pat's, he's like one of those guys, like Pat's like us, Pat eat, breathes and sleeps fire service, you know, like, uh, obviously he just recently retired, but, but that man, the history that that guy has, the knowledge he has, 
Um, he's just always willing to share his knowledge in the years of experience he has. Well, that's Pat Nichols, right? So just to clarify for people from the Boston Fire Department. So he's recently retired. What was he? He was assistant chief. Is that what he was? He's a district chief. District chief. Okay. District chief. District nine. Got it. Um, So he's, he's, he was like, he had an area he was responsible for uh, within division two. Got it. Okay. Um, And he did the fee. He was on the FEMA team too. He was a really man. Wait till you meet him. He's, I, I'm excited, man. I'm talk to you after you meet him. I love when like, I love when guys tell me that. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna meet this guy. This guy's awesome." Tell me how the tell me how it goes, and then I and then like I'll get back to you and be like, "Bro, did not disappoint." Like, I love that though. There are so many awesome dudes that are in this fire service that I have not met, and I can't wait to meet them. And it's like every corner I turn, there's another guy that's just like, man, this guy's a rock star. Oh, this guy's a rock star. Like, there's just so much about these people. I love it. We're on the Job Talks podcast with Will. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and he's, like, starting that up up here in the New England area. Yep. And it's like, man, that is so good. That is exactly, like, it's like-minded individuals. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100 about things. And, and it's amazing. You know, we're all, we're all alphas and we're all strong dudes, but it's, um, it's fun to find people that are similar, that are going through similar experiences. And some of the things you shared today, I think will resonate with a lot of people. Um, and for you to share your story today with us is just awesome. And, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship and, uh, thank you brother for joining me today, man. Can't wait to see you again. I hope, uh, you know, some of the experiences I shared today will, resonate in someone's head and, 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 you know, make them take a further look at what, what they got going on and, and reach out if they need it or, or get 100%. help if they need it. Yeah. Know that, like it's possible. Yeah. And I'd be happy to share. I know you said if anybody wanted to reach out or whatever, I mean, I appreciate you doing that and we can put your you know email address out there or people can reach out to us and, and, uh, and we can provide that to them if uh, you know, if they need uh, they want to talk with a brother that, uh, that, you know, shared some experiences. So I think that's important. That's how we keep each other, in check, if you will. So it's good, man. Mike Lydon, thank you, brother. I appreciate you very much for joining me today. You are a rock star, and I wish you continued success with your career and your family and everything else that you're involved with, pal. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank cool. you very much. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to sign off, and then uh, I'll come right back to you. So, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. As I say at the end of every episode, talk about the job, because when we do, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.